It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6, 1998. Goldberg captured the gold. We look back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother! Welcome everyone to a milestone edition of Reliving the War, exclusively on the Grey Wolf Network. My name is Nims Azor, joined as always by my partner in crime, Simon Tackler. And Simon, I tell you, it's, uh, could you believe that we've gone through a full calendar year of WWE and WCW pay-per-views? We've made it one whole year of Reliving the War. The shows are starting to get really different too, which is starting to make it fun. I know technically we're a couple of months behind, but we're hammering through and I think we're going to catch up. So we're kind of in June still, but we'll get there. This was, yeah, a big milestone for us. Yeah, it certainly was. And as we always like to do, to quote Bobby Heenan, uh, who is the third man and whose side is he on? So we always like to bring in a guest when it comes to reliving the war. And I do want to welcome the one and only Jack Trainer, who is a podcast guru, an absolute superstar for the good people at Wavelength. And Jack, first off, thanks for joining us here on Reliving the War, man. No, thank you very much for having me. This is really exciting. Uh, first off, I do want to apologize if I butchered your title. And secondly, <laughs> we can put that all in the description. But, um, but I want to ask you, man. 1997, where were you as a, uh, as a human being, let alone a wrestling fan? So I was seven years old. Um, I was born in 1990. So you basically just take the last two numbers of any year and you can figure out how old I am really quickly. So I was seven and I wasn't actually a wrestling fan. I'm, I'm a really late to life wrestling fan. I, so I got into wrestling at the, the ripe old age of 19, 2009, uh, peak Viper Randy Orton uh, era. Um, so, yeah, what was I doing seven? Was Space Jam out at this point? Was I watching Space Jam? I think Space Jam was a year beforehand. So, okay. but, well, but I, I, was remember- very, I was very into Space Jam for a very long time. So, but remember, this is the era where, like, you know, a movie would come out and then, like, two years later, it's like, oh, by the way, here it is in Video Easy. <laughs> Yeah, remember the feature presentation when it would debut on TV? Channel 9 would be like, and our feature, you know, like Die Hard 3 for the first time on TV. And you're like, oh, my God, better watch it. Yeah, I missed that. But I think I would have been living in Scott's Head in New South Wales, if anyone knows where that is. That's a very little small picturesque beach town. There you go. So, and I find it interesting that like 09 is when you sort of came into, you know, uh, being a wrestling fan because you were almost, you were sort of the peak of, um, well, just before the peak of the huge CM Punk, John Cena sort of thing. So you got in on a good, at a good time and you, mm. you basically missed all the crap of the ruthless aggression era. <laughs> <laughs> to, the, when I was watching, I remember people on the internet being very unhappy. I know that's a weird thing to imagine, people on the internet not being happy, <laughs> but I just remember people criticizing Cena and Orton because it was just like a Cena-Orton fest for every every match and Triple H sprinkled in there every now and then as well. Um, 
so yeah, I remember people criticizing the hell out of that, but yeah, then I think it was like punk was on like SmackDown and SmackDown was obviously the better show for a long stretch of time there. Punk did that great thing where he had the match against Jeff Hardy that led mm-hmm. into the match versus Undertaker, which was amazing. Um, but yeah, that stuff was good. Cena, Randy Orton stuff. Weirdly people on the internet were annoyed about it. It was strange. Yeah. Oh, it's funny. Cause like, you know, I think we've reached that age uh, in terms of time that has passed where people are just like, man, wasn't Randy, like we were so lucky to be able to see peak Cena and peak Orton back in the day. It's like, you hated it. Don't say that you liked it now. But um. I actually saw one of those like listicle articles of like, here's five years that Randy Orton was motivated and five years that he wasn't. <laughs> and it went through and it listed 2009 as a year that he was motivated. And I was like, everyone was so mad at him at this stage. What are you guys talking about? Randy Orton was awesome in 09. I know we're jumping, you know, a decade and a bit ahead of where we are, but he was great in 09 because that was peak, like, serial killer viper mm. where he'd lick his lips and, like, do weird faces and stuff. Mm. It was good. Yeah, and legacy. It, yeah. Was, it was it was underrated, severely underrated. Like, go back and watch that WrestleMania for that year, and it actually stacks up pretty well. But, look, we got to get back to 1997. We'll dial it back into the DeLorean just a little bit and get started with King of the Ring 1997. This is a, a fairly fabled pay-per-view. Like, we often sort of hear, like, you know, Survivor Series 97 is a big milestone pay-per-view because of one moment. Not King of the Ring 96 is it's the Austin winning King of the Ring. So just going into this completely cold Jack, what was your sort of memory, not memories, but your impressions of like when you sat down to watch this go like this, okay, what am I going to expect here? What were the things that you knew you were going to expect? I went in completely blind. I didn't I, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't look up the Wikipedia page beforehand. I didn't try and watch any recaps on YouTube or anything. I was just totally fresh. I don't think I've ever actually even watched a King of the Ring pay-per-view before. So this was, this was one of my first experiences with this. And yeah, I don't know. Uh, Maybe I'll sit on that for a little bit, but I'm not necessarily sold on the idea of these tournament-style pay-per-views. <laughs> Simon, what about you? Like, we already know the history of King of the Ring in 1996 and what was meant to happen and what did happen. So going into this one, what were the preconceived notions that you had before you sat down to watch it? Yeah, obviously the big one, I suppose, in that sense is, you know, Triple H was meant to win in 96. The curtain call happened. They changed course. Austin wins. Basically, you know, one of the most important things to ever happen was that sort of bit of happenstance. So, you know, I knew Triple H won. I haven't seen this pay-per-view in forever. Um, it doesn't feel as big as you would expect, but it it sort of pays off, you know, later into his run because they actually talk about it on air and sort of break the fourth wall with all of this that happened. So, yeah, it was kind of cool to see it without any of that, just the kayfabe version. This is still that weird transition phase where we're getting some remnants of the Attitude Era seeping in. The new generation is still there, but slowly phasing itself out. We'll start off with uh, the opening montage. Jack, we've said often that the WWF's pay-per-view packages, uh, even when you put them literally side by side uh, next to WCW, WCW's video packages looks like they were done by a year 10 media student, which is not having a go. That's just that's just what it was like back in 1996, 1997. Mm-hmm. So when you're, when you're going completely fresh and you're given the WWE nice, WWF nice, slick, polished sort of, here's what you can expect in the show kind of voiceovers and the, and the jump cuts and whatnot, what were, you, what were your first impressions? 
So they've always been great at this, right? They've, it's always been something that it stands out about WWF, WWE is their, their video packages that they put together. But I did not know that they were producing these kinds of like old school trailer style promo packages here with the with the that La Fontaine uh, guy doing the voiceover. No, uh, it's not. It's not La Fontaine. We looked it up. It's a guy called Jim Fagan who did the NBA on NBC as well. He's oh, he's awesome. the NBA on NBC guy. Yeah, that's, yeah. Oh, that's the best. <laughs> he's pretty. Um, he's got a great voice. Yeah, and like you know, a night of firsts, all that kind of stuff going into this was uh, <laughs> it was a sign of the times, is what it felt like to me watching that, um, along with the horror movie music that was playing in the background of this thing. Uh, what did you guys think? I really liked it because to me, this is what a video package should look like. Like to me, this is peak video package. Cool voiceover. Scary music, black and white, real dramatic. It sells it like it's serious. None of this, oh, we're going to play Flow Rider over clips of like, you know, WrestleMania clips. I don't like how they've, you know, really polished it up to where it's like WWE is fun. Like back here, it was like they want to kill each other. Mm. The only thing that stood out to me is like a little bit iffy and a weird sign of the times. They're like, and Farouk might become the first African-American champion. WWE has existed for decades by mm. this point already, and they're saying it like, you know, it could happen. Really weird. Mm. That part did sort of really seem weird. But talking about how, like, you know, the video package gets you in the really into that zone of, like, this is an all-out war, and then it goes to Super Soaker Presents. King of the 1997. That part, it kind of just sort of really goes, oh, that's right. We're, we're at the age of, like, you're still a to like targeted towards children, even though your product is really moving away from that too. But you're right, though, about the the weirdness of, um, you know, how do I put it? You're right. Having the point of like Farouk could be the first ever African-American champion in the WWE when the WWE has been around for ages. It is 1997. You know, there's just so much going on. This is well past, you know, race rights and things like that. But just goes to show how progressive you might think wrestling is and just how, you know, stuck of the times it was back then. Uh, one, of the, one of the other things too, that I absolutely loved. And I don't know if you ever experienced this, Jack, but peak Vince McMahon, welcome to a pay-per-view. <laughs> this is, I was immediately going to comment on this. This is one of the very first things I took a note of. Uh, Vince is absolutely going for it at that beginning. Uh, the, this is my first time watching Vince do a full show's commentary. And my goodness. Um, and then going into like his master of ceremonies mode as well, when he stands up and like runs down the different commentary desks, D did he, did he do that at every pay-per-view? No, that was weird. That stood out to me as well. Like the welcome everyone that's uh, Vince McMahon trademark. Staple. Yep. But when he stood up and was like, and here's Raymond Rougeau and here's Hugo Savinovich, <laughs> he's never done that. That mm. was weird. It felt unplanned when he did it. Like, it felt like he stood up and his back was to the camera. He's, uh, like, he didn't feel like he was close enough to his microphone. Like, it, it felt like he was slightly off. It felt like Vince was just like, I'm the owner of the company. I feel like doing this right now. And he says, come with me, Mr. Cameraman, as well. The best, that, well, the best way I can sort of describe it is this is the equivalent of having a best man speech that goes on for, where the guy gets a bit too comfortable with the microphone, just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, look, 
I know we gave you a little bit of rope here, but you need to dial it down a smidge. Mm. <laughs> we get to our first match, which is Ahmed Johnson versus Triple H with China. One thing that Simon and I always love to point out here when we've been reliving these pay-per-views is some of the commentary, there are some lines here and there, especially with Jerry the King Lawler, that just don't really age too well. There is a line where JR that really stood out for me, it's the first note I've got, where he mentions China being sexy. I'm sure it is to some people she surely is, says Vince. I which thought you, <laughs> that was weird. Which you just kind of like, hmm, not quite sure how that one's meant to go down. But, you know, 1997 was a different time. But i got to say, Simon, we've seen a fair bit of Ahmed Johnson in the lead up to this. Is it just me or is JR doing an over-the-top sell job of you need to get behind this man? I think they, like, even though it's a year into when we first saw him with the big push with the IC title, they were going to ramp it up because we'll get to the end of the show. But this looked like they were lining up for a huge push for Ahmed. And to be fair, though, he got a huge pop when he came out. He did. But the bit where JR's like, you know, when he was a kid, he joined a gang called the Bloods. It's, it's like... What was that, Jay? <laughs> did he really say that? I, I must have missed that. I did. I did notice that he seemed to be getting a really big reaction um, from from the crowd. I was I was quite surprised at the reaction that Ahmed Johnson was was getting. Well, yeah, everyone acts cool now, and they're like, "Oh, Ahmed Johnson, he sucked." In '97, we all loved him. I, I actually, that's one of the biggest notes that I've written down here, which says, how did Ahmed go from mega popular to an absolute nobody a year later? Because by King of the Ring, hell, by Survivor Series 1997, he's, he's pretty much done and dusted. But that's something we'll get to a little bit later on. As I said, JR is doing a hell of a sell job on Ahmed here. Meanwhile, um, China is just presented like an absolute beast. It's funny still seeing Triple H because Jack, you've come, you came in towards the t- the tail end of the 2009s after Hunter's Reign of Terror. Is it weird seeing little Hunter Hearst Helmsley mannerisms while he's still transitioning into what would be then the game? Yeah, it's <laughs> the short answer to that one. It was very weird to watch Hunter Hearst Helmsley uh, in this fashion, only knowing Triple H in his sort of most modern iterations. Um, the like great like entrance music and stuff like that. So, like it's a solid character, but it was just bizarre to watch to watch him in that way. Yeah, it was it was a strange one too. But Simon, we've sort of noticed. We said this before with like when we watched like you know even WCW and you see the transformation from DDP at Bash the Beach nineteen ninety six to DDP at Slamboree ninety seven. How they get their full form. Same with Stone Cold Steve Austin. He's not quite the Stone Cold that we know and love at King of the Ring nineteen ninety six, but he gets his way there. At what I don't know, metamorphosis would Triple H be right now, do you reckon, Simon? Well, this is a huge turning point because this is his first match on pay-per-view with Mick Foley, and this is the feud that turns him into the harder-edged, brutal Triple H. They wrestle three pay-per-views in a row starting from this one. The next one is a brawl and a street fight, and then at SummerSlam, it's a cage match. Sorry for the spoilers, but that's where we see the more brawling side of Triple H, and then that leads straight into DX. So this is the big turning point for him. Although JR, like we mentioned last month, JR is still claiming that Triple H lives in Greenwich and grew up with a wrestling tutor. Let it go, JR. No one believes that. Like, it's the (laughs) dumbest gimmick ever. He he, He had servants and maids and a wrestling tutor, according to JR. 
Meanwhile, meanwhile, Ahmed Johnson lived at home in the projects with 88 brothers and sisters <laughs> while he was, you know, robbing cars to pay the rent, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, look, what do we think of the match? And this is a this is a quite a bit of a change of pace from our usual WWF style in the new generation because we actually sort of see well, and also, Jack, I'm assuming this is one of the first times you've seen Ahmed Johnson in action. The very first time that I've seen Ahmed Johnson in in action, um, I found this match to be painfully slow to to watch. The amount of like posturing to the crowd for like what felt like the first two thirds of this match, um, yeah, it, it was it was struggling to maintain my attention. And like the amount of times that Ahmed Johnson removed his hands from his his own hips, um, felt like very minimal. Feels like I could count them on one hand. Yeah, it's it's amazing how Ahmed Johnson sort of if if you ever like look back at like you know the late nineties um, or mid nineties WWF video games and you see how the character models are all like they've probably used the mocap from Ahmed Johnson because everyone stands like that. <laughs> but um, Simon, how, what did you think of the match as well? Because we've seen a lot of um, th- the rise of Ahmed Johnson here. Is it just me or one? Did he look more glistening than normal? He looked like an LJ in action figure. And secondly. Sloppy. I didn't recall him being as sloppy as this. I've been pretty forgiving to Ahmed Johnson watching all of his matches, and we've usually said it's a bit of fun, brawling. He does these high-impact moves. This was his worst match on pay-per-view. I really thought it would be better because Triple H was in there as well. On the glistening thing, you're right. Ahmed Johnson was one of the shiniest and wettest people I've ever seen in my life, which is funny because Triple H was super dry, Whereas a few years later, it would become Triple H's trademark to be super wet. So I feel like he looked at Ahmed and he's like, that's the one thing I'm taking from you. I want to be that wet. And he did. That's the thing that he took in the locker room chat beforehand. It's like, as they're running through the match and Ahmed's tipping a bottle of water and he said, Triple H is sort of like, seems like a great idea. That's why the match wasn't good. Triple H was too busy just asking about wetness and not planning any <laughs> yeah. good spots. Is, it, is, that, is the right amount of witness? Um, right. Is that like a full bottle? Is that a gallon bottle? Like, what do you do? Like, what's then the Howard, <laughs> Howard Finkel starts announcing and they're like, oh, no, we haven't planned it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's look, a, a bit of um, China interference here uh, leads to Triple H's win. This was going to be a, a recurring theme. Something that I do want to note too, is this... Um, Simon, is this the last King of the Ring where they really go out with the traditional royalty sort of gimmick? Because King of the Ring 1998 was very much the off with their heads one, wasn't it? Yeah, and they really change it. It's all black and white, and we would see that branding for 98 to 2002. Yeah. Yeah, this is the last one with this logo. They revamp it and sort of stick with it next year. Up until um, its, its first demise in... Uh, 2002, yeah. But um, let's get straight to the next match, which seems to happen. Do, do you reckon, did we get a, an edited version of um, this pay-per-view on the WWE Network? Because it seems to go straight to the next match. Normally, there's like filler bits and stuff like that. I, I happen to notice that it was like, it was just very short and sharp. It did come around quick. I agree with you, Nims. I found myself uh, feeling like, oh, match is over. Maybe I can get up and grab, grab a glass of water. And then the, the next match was already starting. Yeah, there was normally like there were like because I noticed there was no like little and here's Shawn Michaels online. Go to go to the go to AIM and type in WWF chat and you could talk to him uh, on your 56k modem. But yeah, it goes straight into Mankind versus Jerry Lawler. Tell you what, if you needed a bathroom back, Jack, this was the best match to do it because <laughs> first off, like Mick Foley just goes into these weird soliloquies that were just so ahead of its time. 
What was your, what would you think of that? Because you obviously know the legend that comes with Mick Foley, but this is his very, very, he's still in his early days of the WWE. Yeah. So yeah, this is a early, one of the earliest matches of his that I've, I've watched. And I don't think I realized how like, quote unquote over he was as a as a baby face um in the in these early days the the sort of uh how much the crowd was behind him surprised me quite a fair bit watching this but the thing that really jumped out to me watching mankind come to this ring is like his mask is great but my goodness his wrestling tights and maybe this is a controversial opinion but his wrestling tights are some of the dumbest looking outfits that anyone has made he looked like he looks like he sewed that on his nan's overlocker <laughs> before coming to the ring like it's the dodgiest looking outfit i think sadly no one's had worse ring gear throughout their whole career than Mick Foley. <laughs> like none of it's good yeah, I really don't think that there'd be someone out there going, now, nah, come on, Jack, that was a damn classic. Like, that was an absolute classic. No, I'm pretty sure that was across the board when people first saw him. First off, you'd see him in WCW's Cactus Jack and then just sort of go, the hell are you wearing, man? Did, <laughs> did, did Was all the budget on the mask? Like, what's going on here? But we do get, we get ourselves um, a, a nice long promo from Mick there and um, he mentions Paul Bearer, et cetera, et cetera. But I tell you, Vince McMahon just seems to be absolutely loving what's going on at the moment. He, if there is, there's often that criticism of the WWE that, like, you know, oh, it's for an audience of one. At this point in time, you could just tell Vince is just like, I don't care what you people want, you want to read. No, soliloquies, damn it. Also, I thought Mick Foley's promo, even though the crowd was into it and it was really well spoken and everything, it was too smart. You know, he was talking about, um, the emperor has no clothes and like all this fancy stuff. And the crowd was like, which point is like the catchphrase bit where we cheer, you know, like what's the big, like, this is the line. They didn't Mm. know this was too highbrow for 1997. And the emperor has no clothes. That was like the hammer line of this thing. (laughs) And it's like, the emperor has no clothes. And the crowd was like, oh, yeah. Like I I noted down zero reaction from the crowd after he said that. Yeah, it was very much like they were like, emperor, there's no emperor. (laughs) Who's the emperor? (laughs) So, and and then um, Jerry Lawler comes out and does his shtick of uh, absolutely berating fans during his entrance. This was very much a staple of uh, Jerry Lawler back then because like aside from his feud with um with Bret Hart Simon which is even then was mostly promos King's mainly known for his smack talking rather than his in-ring work in the WWF isn't he yeah in the WWE it was all about him just commentary berating people anytime he'd have a match it was basically this roast everyone on the way to the ring and then get your ass kicked this was toned down, though. We've seen Jerry go way harder in previous promos. This was, I think he pushed it too far on some of the other ones, and they were like, tone it down. Because even though he called that woman, like, you you should be back at the massage parlor, he has said way worse to people so much worse. previously. He said, was the massage parlor closed today? <laughs> Which I found hilarious. And it was just all, like, jokes that were just questions. The other one was, does your parole officer know you're out this late? And then eventually he's just like, I'm just going to transition to slamming JR. And he said, that bulbous Jim Ross. <laughs> Amazing. He also says I loved the, it. Vince, the Vince McMahon line was so brutal. He's like, hey, Vince, you wouldn't want mankind to die because then you'll be the ugliest man on earth. <laughs> like, yes. 
<laughs> yeah. He, he gets very, very brutal in a very, uh, like, 1977 <laughs> roast sort of way. But speaking of 19, uh, 1977, Jerry Lawler certainly wrestles like it's 1977 as well because by all means, if you're looking for work rate, this is not the match to do it. But um, I tell you, JR is full of facts in this match. He just, like, this entire pay-per-view, he seemed to be like a Wikipedia page on everyone. And what? How did you? Th- how did you like the the sprinkling of facts here, Jack? Because we didn't get this during the ruthless aggression here. It was just Michael Cole telling people what was trending, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But Jay is actually adding a whole bunch of little one percenters to the match. Mm, I yeah, I like it. It's it's fun to hear the JR. Like I'm I'm not the biggest like. JR is the greatest commentary person of all time. I'm not not one of those those people. Um, but it, I, I thought he added a lot of value with with that kind of stuff, and it was fun. Though it, it, it was this match that I started noticing how mismatched JR and Vince were are as a commentary team. Like it's it, it's it's bizarre. That it feels like their styles just don't blend well at all. Like there's bits where JR will say like a folksy thing, like he's like, oh, he's sweeter than a, a pixie stick dipped in sugar cane. And Vince will just either not say anything or just be like, oh boy, and just like <laughs> shiv him to the crowd. And then other times he'll be like, Ahmed Johnson, he can bench press 800 pounds over his head with one arm. And Vince will be like, well, the thing is, JR, he's also good at curling. <laughs> it's like, and, and, you, and you just see JR just be like, you're right, Vince. Yes, of, of course. And the other really amusing thing is anytime like Vince clearly has nothing to say, just does that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, right, Vince. Oh, man. But um, look, what do we think of the match? Because as I said, uh, Jerry Lawler is wrestling like it's 1977 here. There was a cool ending, though, that nice little pile driver reversed into the mandible claw. Because as you know, Jerry Lawler's pile driver is the most devastating move on the planet. And I thought this was a pretty good sort of um, little transition to give mankind the win. So, I mean, this is the sort of rebuild of mankind, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and you hear the commentary team reference it quite a bit. We're in the midst, because they said there's one more coming up tomorrow on Raw, we're in the midst of those sit-down interviews with JR, which turned Mick Foley face and was the first time they really acknowledged that, yeah, Mankind's actually Mick Foley, and you probably know him as Cactus Jack, and he tells a story of when he was a kid, he was dude love. So, yeah, this is a turning point for Mick Foley and Triple H, this sets them both up. So it was kind of interesting to see that they make it to the finals here. And yeah, it was kind of cool to see this part of Mick Foley where he's getting to that next level. Mm. At this point in time, you know, anyone that wrestles Jerry Lawler, you know that Jerry Lawler is going to be counting lights at the end of it. But um, another cool thing that I'm not sure if um, you picked up on, Jack, but Mankind would have two themes. He'd have an entrance theme, which is the sort of dark one, and his exit theme, which was the lighthearted piano music. Mm. And uh, he was the only person, I think, still to this day that had both an entrance and an exit theme. Oh, yeah. Now that you mention it, that is something that I was, it's one of those things I've just picked up by osmosis of being a wrestling fan for a long time. Just one of the things you have to know, but I didn't notice it at the time. But yeah, now that you pointed out that I did, I did notice that one thing I did notice in this match though, because I actually enjoyed this one. I thought this was, I thought this was a fun, this was a fun, silly old school wrestling match, but the biting by the King, like the King just biting mankind in the middle of this match. 
and the, this this happens again later in the pay-per-view, which we'll probably talk about. Um, but I'm just like looking at this as like, why isn't he being disqualified? Like, what is the logic? Like, yo, you can you can bite up to five. No more biting <laughs> after five. It's weird that biting is counted the same as holding a yeah. move too long on the ropes. So like one, <laughs> two, three, stop biting him. <laughs> and also Lawler, not only biting, but going real old school and just pulling a random object from his pants yep. to punch him. We never see what it is. It was probably nothing. It was just the pantomime of like, I'm reaching into my tights and now I hit him. Yeah. At one point, JR says he's like, oh, hit him with that, you know, foreign object. And then he goes, at least I don't have to call it an international object anymore, which is a bit of a deep cut because in WCW in the early 90s, Ted Turner wanted to be more politically correct. So even it bled into wrestling and they weren't allowed to say foreign object because that was offensive. So they had to say international object. Wow. Yeah, yeah. and you know Vince loves a slam on, you know, progressive Ted Turner. So. <laughs> I just love that too because you know that when Jr. said that he's sitting at he's sitting younger. Oh, I showed Ted. Take yeah. that, mate. Yeah, but- <laughs> Ted Turner wasn't watching <laughs> King of the Ring '97. Jr. Also, though, the one annoying bit about this match for Jr.'s commentary: Jerry Lawler does a drop kick, and I'm pretty sure Jr. wasn't being sarcastic. He goes, "You won't see many drop kicks from the King." Jerry Lawler has three moves: pile driver, fist drop, and a drop kick. Like I've seen mm. him do a drop kick. In every match ever. For a bit of variety, he'll pull out a fireball too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that's he's essentially, you know, a 1988 Ness character. <laughs> <laughs> that's basically all he is. <laughs> but um, we'll get on to uh, the next little segment. This is the Brian Pillman promo. Now, this is a fantastic little sequence of events. We've got the crazy Brian Pillman. And Jack, did you have you ever seen any of uh, Brian Pillman's work? No, the, the 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 famous gun uh, moment is is all I know of Pillman. I never saw him live in action. And yeah, I think this was one of the big takeaways from me from from this pay per view was was how good he was at like chewing the scenery and doing those those extra bits and pieces. Um, and Stone Cold showing up behind him. That that moment was just like Chef's kiss right there. The look on his face of just like pure joy that I'm about to surprise this guy was amazing. It was fantastic because Austin knew just the right. He's the only guy that could do such panto sort of moves like that and still look like a badass. And Simon, what did you think of just the, first off, Austin and beating people up in toilets. He, he seems like whoever was directing him to be a heel must have really thought like oh, happy days is bad people hang out in toilets in happy days. This must be what all heels do. <laughs> yeah. I swear, ever since Pillman showed up, since we've been doing the show, I keep thinking every pay-per-view we watch is the one where Austin does this to him. So when I saw Austin show up, I thought, oh, my God, it's finally the one. And you're right. Austin is like the king of the bathroom brawl. I, I like to imagine Austin set up the camera in the toilet because there was a camera in the cubicle. <laughs> yep. I reckon Austin set it up and is like, you know, I'm going to grab this Pillman and do this to him because that was good. And as dumb as that is, makes no sense. That's classic attitude error. And this was like, you know, the birth of the pointless camera backstage. It was so good. Which also lent, uh, it also led to the great line from Vince. Do you call that a swirly, JR? <laughs> Vince knows. You know he swirly kids <laughs> mm, in high definitely. school. <laughs> so that's so good. But we get to our next match, which is Crush versus Goldust. 
I got to say here, is it just me? Because we've seen a lot of Nation of Domination um, matches, Simon, but does it does it seem like Crush is checked out here? Crush is the worst guy in the nation. I was trying to think watching this match. We've never seen a good Crush match on this show. I don't think I've seen a good Crush match full stop. I don't know if it gets any better for him, but oh my God, when I saw him come out, I was like, oh no, not Crush. It is weird though. On this one show, we're getting face Mankind and face Goldust. In this era, you don't really think either of them was, but yeah. This is also probably the Goldust that you would know, uh, you would be a little bit more familiar with, Jack, because he's gone away from the, th- <laughs> how, do, how do I put this, the, the theatrics, as they used to say, which is brackets, he's acting like a homosexual, boo this man. No, no. It's theatrics, um, but um, Goldust, he's got the, he's kind of got that the same kit. This is the one that he would then lead on to wear into the Attitude Era and the Ruthless Aggression Era, as opposed to the weird white and gold one. So this looks like a more familiar Goldust to the one that we know and grew to love. But what did you think of the match first off? Because I'm going to assume when you're going through the WWE Network, typing in best crush matches isn't the first thing that comes to mind. <laughs> Yeah, no, I resubscribe just to watch this. And uh, after I searched for best crush matches, then I then I jumped over to, to King of the Ring. No, this was, once again, first time watching Crush wrestle, which is going to be a theme for this whole show. Um, but, yeah, he made absolutely zero impression on me, that guy. And, mm-hmm. like, I, I just found myself wondering the whole time why he was in the nation of domination. <laughs> it didn't, didn't feel like a, a fit. Um, but the thing that really stuck out to me is like how improbable of a career that gold dust has had, like looking at this and you're right, it, it did quite resemble what he's doing nowadays, uh, what he was doing there. It's just like this strange gold spray painted person, son of one of the greatest wrestlers of all time leads this incredible career that goes on and he's still wrestling at a high level. Now it seems like he's one of the biggest overachievers in wrestling. Yeah, very much so. And in fact, did you pick up too, Simon, that um, JR actually referred to him as, you know, the natural uh, Dustin Runnels, not Dustin Rhodes. Uh, um, but there's a lot of little tidbits, uh, like you mentioning how he's Dusty's son, um, which is unheard of at this point in time in WWF because they, they're almost sprinkling in a little bit like, you know, oh, these guys have had a career outside of WWF as opposed to like when Mankind first appeared, it's just like, he was in a boiler room. (laughs) We just found him. (laughs) Goldust is an Oscar statue come to life. Yeah. Yeah. It makes, I think we've seen sprinklings of the Attitude Era through 96 and you can see where it's going. This pay-per-view though, let's add Goldust to that category of Triple H and Mankind who are at a turning point. Yeah. Goldust is now being referenced as the son of Dusty Rhodes. They say he's about to live his own American dream. And they actually mentioned that Terry is his wife, Mm. you know, before it was like, ooh, just his valet, you know, Marlena. JR even mentions that Terry used to do makeup for Larry King at the CNN uh, building. So (laughs) the the best part is after Goldust uh, gets the win, um, he makes out with Marlena. And, or, yes, yeah, it's, it's still Marlena at the time. They haven't called it Terry yet. Mm. But um, the best part is Vince goes, ha, 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 and they're husband and wife. Because <laughs> you know he can't believe it. He's like, why is she with him? <laughs> so good. So, so good. But uh, another thing that we'll quickly mention before we move on to the next segment, no PG-13 coming out and rapping. Oh, good point. Yeah, they're gone. Okay, so, Jack, you might not know, 
the, the nation of domination through their first year, they had two white rappers who would rap the nation of domination theme song to the ring. And this is the first time they weren't there. I would have loved to get your opinion on their rhymes and bars, but you missed out. <laughs> but um, let's move on to the next segment here because we got um, Doc Hendricks uh, with Sid and the LOD. Now, this is what I would mean about these little segments that are quite a staple of um, the new generation and us sort of being phased out a little bit because, Jack, you would have seen like those little piece of cameras that Renee Young does that they did back in the day with um, Alicia Fox or whoever just there where they do the real intense thing. But this just looks like the best way I could sort of describe it is a coked out promo by aging wrestlers. And would I be wrong in saying that that's the best way to sort of lead you into this, Paul? I I think that's pretty damn accurate for what I saw. Well, the, my note on this is Legion of Doom and Sid just yelling at each other. <laughs> it's just like they're just handing the mic around. Now it's my turn to yell. <laughs> yeah. But it was awesome though, wasn't it? Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Sid also did that. Sid also did that weird thing that he does where he starts yelling and then goes really, really softly. Range. He's showing off his range right there. <laughs> There is a man. There is a man there that goes from literally zero to a hundred in the blink of an eye. But um, another great part of this is as Doc Hendricks is about to throw to uh, <laughs> to Todd Bettingill, talking to um, the Heart Foundation, he refers to him as as Todd as my brother from another mother, <laughs> which is just so out of place with Doc Hendricks. But then we get to the Heart Foundation, and as a juxtaposition, you've just seen three legends of the eighties. And the 90s just yell at each other there, Jack. Now you've got the Heart Foundation. And this is peak Heart Foundation too. What do you think of this promo? Well, speaking of Coke, uh, Neidhart <laughs> looks like he was coked out of his mind behind them. It seemed like he could barely keep his tongue in his mouth. Um, so, yeah, that, uh, I don't know. The whole thing didn't really make that great of an impression of me, the, the Heart Foundation. What, what did you guys think? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, like they're they're pretty well spoken. It was fine. You shouldn't put anything right after a Sid and LOD promo. Like it, you can't compete with it. Especially too, because I think Davy Boy Smith feels like he has the need to try and match that level of intensity, but he can't quite do it. Like he does, he does fantastic promos, but yelling LOD slash Sid promos is not something that he does well. But um, we get to the match, which is Heart Foundation versus the Legion of Doom and Sid, a, a rather depressing fact that this just popped up when I it didn't pop up on the screen by any means, but this is just something that came to my head. It was just like, Sid is the only person that is alive today in that match. Like, that is very depressing, don't you reckon, Si? I got that note too, and it only hit me about halfway through. I was like, wow, Sid's the only guy still around. It was really weird. Um, Sid was also the most over guy in this match by mm. a mile, so... I don't know if those two things are connected. They're not at all, but it's interesting. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, uh, the fact that you're living or dying is judged how well you wrestled at King of the Ring 1997. Yeah. If you it had adds, a sticker. Add seconds to your, to your life with every cheer that you received in 1997. Sid knew the, the meaning of life was killing it at 1997 King of the Ring. What about when Sid came out, Vince was like, Sid is statuesque. Yes. I feel like he got his scripts for Sable and Sid mixed up and he just <laughs> read the wrong thing. It was awesome. JR had nothing in reply to that. 
So this is this is the part where I feel like we need to apologize to Jack because normally a match with Owen and the Bulldog in it is guaranteed to be one of the best on the cards. Unfortunately, Jack, you seem to have walked into the one where it isn't <laughs> quite the best on the card. No. Uh, my, t- my big takeaway from this match is, well, once again, I think I've only seen Owen Hart wrestle one other time. He has a weird body, Owen Hart, <laughs> I find. He's like small torso, <laughs> long legs, and long arms. It's like like... It's like a monkey of some kind, like watching watching him move around. And I, I was mostly distracted with um, watching that. And then halfway through the match, while thinking that, hearing JR just yell out, Owen Hart is not a small man. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that too. <laughs> oh, like, but- yeah, definitely not his arms anyway. <laughs> he also mentioned that Anvil was a political science major at UCLA. That blew me away. I was like, okay, wouldn't have picked him as the one guy to go to university and study that in this match. <laughs> and, and didn't they, he, he also threw in the tip? like, they call him the anvil because he used to throw anvils back in Calgary. <laughs> it's just like, it's, <laughs> JR, come on, man. Like, we know, clearly someone was renegotiating a contract. He's like, look at all this stuff I could bring to the table, guys. Look, look at my notes. <laughs> He's just like, <laughs> but um, yeah, look, the Hart Foundation get the win here. This is a fairly sloppy match, but you know what? The crowd is really into it, and LOD were incredibly over back then. And like, and you want to see uh, actually a really good Owen and Bulldog match with LOD. Revenge of the Taker is actually a very good match there. So if you ever don't let this be an indication, Jack, of how good or bad that these guys can actually wrestle. But um, all in all, what do you think of the entire thing? Because it would have been weird to see the crowd get so into a match that by today's standards really isn't that good. Yeah, the, the thing I, I just kept thinking about, uh, other than the length of Owen Hart's arms, um, <laughs> was I, I feel like Sid is one of those guys who nowadays feels like he gets shit on. Mm-hmm. And he seemed just way over, way more over than I would have expected for someone to be. But uh, yeah, other than that, the, the match just felt very, very forgettable. Sid was we didn't realize this either we grew up watching this but couldn't remember it watching it from 1996 and sid's crazy run in the wwe he's the most like top one or two over guys on every show he's on in this era sid is unexplainable why he was so over we haven't been able to figure it out and you might not know this but he then goes to ecw and you know what an ecw crowd is like sid was super over there too it makes no sense. He's just cool. People love it. The only thing I could think of, because I was trying to, because I've done this exact same thing that you have, because I'm like, because you always remember Sid being there, like, you know, like, oh yeah, Sid was, yeah, he was in the scene. He was, he was around, but you don't, until you actually watch it go, wow, he was, he's like Kevin Nash levels of like popularity here. The only thing that I can think of is just the fact that he looks so stonewalled. Like he's just like, like he's just woken up. He's like, what? <laughs> like he's just late for work. And he's just that intense that everyone's like, yeah, I better cheer this man in case he kills me. <laughs> but look at how into it he is during his entrance. He genuinely looks like he's having fun, mm. like getting the crowd to cheer. Sometimes you don't see that. And you're like, oh, this guy hates people. He's just doing his job. He Sid also- looks like he enjoyed it a lot. He does the most aggressive fist bumps. If you yeah. see the way he like just punches the fists <laughs> of the crowd, you're like, whoa, you're going to take out a child one day doing that. 
<laughs> well, we get to our uh, wrist. Yeah. As we move on to uh, the next little segment, we get a cool little recap of Steve Austin winning the King of the Ring uh, with a little package here. Now, for those playing at home, like this was, do you think this is the moment? And I'll, I'll turn to you here, Simon. Do you reckon this is the moment where they sort of realize, like, wow, that was actually a pretty big deal last year? Yeah, I think so. Because we noticed he wasn't on every pay-per-view right after King of the Ring 96. I think they weren't sure of what they had. But, yeah, a year after, they're like, wow, that changed everything for us. We've got this guy who is on fire, and now they're handling him really well a year later. And this is where the cool little WWF revisionist history bits comes in because when you watch that, Jack, does it not look like this was the plan all along? I, re- I can't speak to this without getting into my stone cold stuff that I want to talk about later. So <laughs> I, I agree with you is, is what I will say. <laughs> but yeah, this this was a really, really cool little package. We then get to uh, Todd Pettingill with Mankind. Foley's promos, as you say, Simon, they're too smart for this audience, and that's not a shot at the audience. That's just the level of in- intellect that um, that Mankind has and Mick Foley has as a performer. I mean, and the best way I could sort of put it is like, could you imagine an NRL post-match where they're talking to, I don't know, uh, Josh Addo Carr, and all of a sudden he breaks out into soliloquy. It's not going to work because people will be like, just, just, are you happy with the win or not, Josh? Just <laughs> yeah. go with that. Just tell me you want to kick some ass and do it for America. Like, you know, yeah, I think Foley gets it very soon after this when he yeah, has more fun. Um, but actually, with this promo, Jack, what did you think of the interviewer, Todd Pettingill? Because he's a guy who had a kind of a bad rep years later where people were like, oh, he was just another one of these Michael Cole type guys. But watching it back, he's really, really good at his job, we've thought. That's my top note on this segment is who is this interview guy? He's pretty good. Um, yeah, I was I was really, really impressed w- with him. And he's like, lots of, lots of energy. Didn't do that modern WWE thing of like after he gets yelled at just to stare into space <laughs> awkwardly <laughs> at the end. Like it felt like, yeah, if people were imitating that style now, like we'd, we'd have a much better product. Yeah, very much so. so and it's funny too because – because he's actually, I, th- I think he's actually a, a, a DJ now, isn't he? Like, he's an actual announcer. Like, does he still have a radio show, Simon? I think from what I understand, he had a radio career before the WWE, and then it's kept taking off in New York. So he ended up committing to that, leaving WWE. I think he's still an announcer now, and he's mm. very good, like you can tell. Like, he's looking back, he might be the best straight-up broadcaster WWE hired. He's very good. And WWE have gone back to that well with Todd Benningill, uh, Pettingill, sorry, um, with the recent NXT in your houses. He's also been a presenter on their DVDs, and he just he gets it. He understands the performance, and at the same time, the level of that you need to be a proper announcer. So it's you're right. He's probably one of the best, if not the best, that they've ever hired. But um, we'll get to the King of the Ring final. It's Triple H versus Mankind. Now, I've said that. Um, I've loved JR's commentary the entire time, and this is peak JR commentary here. But um, Jack, what did you think of this final? Because it's it's a it's a rivalry as old as time. It's a it's a staple of the Attitude Era, Triple H and Mankind as a um as rivals going head to head. This is like their first clash on pay per view. Did it live up to any sort of hype that you went in, or any preconceived sort of uh, thoughts about it? 
Um, this is the match that I started to notice how mismatched JR and Vince were. So I, I was a little bit more focused in on that. And by the way, just going back to the promo for the, the interview for one second, the quote, the movie quote that Mick Foley does at the end where he says, I just can't wait to be king. Yes. He quotes the Lion King. The Lion King, yeah. <laughs> oh, was that what it was? Well, yeah, that's, that song. Well, that's the, best, the best part about it, though, when he says, I just can't wait to be king, he's like, Vince completely no-sells it, too. Like, <laughs> how about that? He wants to be king. <laughs> and you're like, Vince didn't you, watch Lion King. But it's like, are you deliberately doing it so people at Disney don't go, hang on a second, what did he just say? Or do you genuinely not get the Lion King joke? Because it seemed like no one did. No one. I didn't, to be honest, so... Biggest Disney movie of all time. I know. And I, <laughs> straight over the wrestling fans' heads. Legit, in this era, I watched The Lion King at the cinema three times. Wow. So, yeah, I should have remembered. Well, I suppose if, if Mick sang it, you would probably would have picked it. <laughs> it would have triggered me and taken me right back. You know, let's face it, no one really knows too many of the Lion King soundtracks if they were spoken words. So we'll, yeah. we'll, give, you, we'll give you a quick pass there. But, uh, yeah, what did you think of the match here, Jack? So the, the other thing that stood out to me in this match was that it was that mankind got bitten by the king, so decided to bite Triple H in return in, in this match. <laughs> Uh, that was the main thing that stood out to me about this. But I thought this was a fun, fun match. Oh, actually, no. The main thing that stood out to me was Mankind nearly decapitating himself in the middle of this match when his neck got caught in the twisted ropes. That was scary. That's an amazing spot that Mick Foley would do. That's actually how he lost his ear. So that's like a recurring McFoley special. Yeah. And I think everyone is like, why would you do that? Like the way the crowd reacts to that, the way Vince and uh, JR react to it, like everyone seems like we nearly saw a man just die. Mm. The same thing that he always does too with the little Cactus Jack elbow where he sort of runs off the apron and uh, just dives onto concrete. You're just like, Mick, no. What are you, like there's a reason you can't walk now, dude. Yeah. Like just settle down. What about the backwards bump off the apron to smash the back of his head in the guardrail? He did it in oh, this match one. and we've seen him do it before don't do that it's not mm. a good idea yet no one has less regard for their uh for their physical well-being than mick foley did at least i, I think he's learned from that now and sort of passes on to future generations like hey maybe you know dial it down a smidge jack we talk about how um triple h is such a staple of like you know the late ruthless aggression early sort of um pg era of the wwe if it's not for Mick Foley, because it just seems like since this pay-per-view, Mick Foley's entire premise and purpose of being in the WWF is to make Triple H a star. Triple H comes out a lot better out of this match than than he did out of that that first match. So it, it makes sense. And and China just walloping the hell out of him with the with the, the king's scepter as well <laughs> was, was was pretty amazing. Um, and then the the end of the match of just <laughs> Triple H just beating the hell out of mankind with the crown mm. was pretty amazing. Yeah, Triple H has discussed this years later. He beat him up with the crown and he would do it again and again every time they would give him a new crown because they're like, hey, man, you wrecked the last one. He was doing it on purpose because he didn't want to wear it as his gimmick. So he would just break it or lose it at show. So what, knowing that and then watching this, it's kind of funny. He was like, I'm going to beat him with this crown. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> the thing I loved about it too, that that big old crown, do you reckon that's why they sort of just – made King of the Ring 1998, like, oh, let's just move away from the royal theme because it's just like, 
Look, we're spending too much money on crowns, you guys. <laughs> Triple H became a hero in the locker room. He ruined all the crowns. <laughs> no one has to wear one again. I just like that, you know, someone's going through the fight, the books. Next time, just like, we seem to have spent a lot of money on crowns. What's going on there? <laughs> but um, yeah, look, it was a really cool little uh, in there. Triple H, he's he had the the same level and it's it, now that that's the first time I've ever heard that Triple H didn't want to wear the crown, which sort of makes sense a little bit now, but he almost has a, that little awkwardness as Todd Pettingill goes to, you know, coronate him as King of the Ring. It's very much like the, I don't know, when your mum drops you off at school and you don't want your friends to see, you're like, mum, like he gets the robe, but he's just like, no, don't really, Todd, no, stop this. <laughs> like, I'm just going to beat him with the crowd. Yeah, he really didn't want to wear it. He looked very reluctant. I guess it was like in primary school when you've got to wear, you know, like the Legionnaire style hat. Yes. And like, it's so you don't get burnt and you look like an idiot. That's like, I don't care. Place. Just let the sun take its toll on me. But um, are we getting to a little recap for HBK versus uh, Stone Cold? How they won the tag team titles. Now, I thought this is a very, very cool little recap package. And Obviously, Jack, you wouldn't have been watching um, Roy's War back in that time. So, this did this bring up to speed on the um, on the feud? Yeah, no, I think yeah did a did a great job at that. I didn't know this ever even happened. This is like one of those cool sort of like mid-year wrestling moments where like two big deal wrestlers get randomly thrown together and then all of a sudden end up with the the tag team titles. So yeah, I miss moments like this from from wrestling across the across the board. So so yeah, it was it was fun to see. And that match that they highlight here, the tag team title match and Shawn Michaels return where he teams with Austin is one of the best raw matches ever. It sort of gets overlooked now. But at the time, it was considered like an instant classic. And that brawl that they show at the end of it too, it's pretty cool. Like that's one of those early like raw is war moments when mm. 10 guys are just brawling and JR's just yelling at the top of his lungs. It's good stuff. Which turned out to be quite a bit of a staple that uh, like those big schmoz endings that were rife during the Attitude Era sort of began there. But another cool thing, when they finished the video package, how hilarious is it seeing JR and Vince at the broken table? (laughs) (laughs) It's just one of those little silly things. Another one where someone's arms look too long for their body in the way that he's sitting. Vince's (laughs) arms look like his knuckles are dragging on the ground. Now, the next little bit is a uh, in-ring segment with the Heart Foundation. Open challenge to any five wrestlers to face them at Canadian Stampede. Now, I don't know how well you know, um, you know, wrestling law, but in your house, Canadian Stampede, Jack, is considered to be maybe next to WrestleMania X7 to be the best WWF pay-per-view of all time. We reckon that's a bit of hyperbole if I say that, Simon, or? No, I I think you can because it's, under three hours, it's just great match after great match, and then that 10-man tag is one of the yeah craziest things ever. Jack, we basically got you on a month earlier, and we could have <laughs> yes. put you on next month with Sorry. a really good show, but anyway. Don't you mean in your ace? <laughs> yeah, in your ace. <laughs> when Brett said that, that brought back a memory. Brett misspeaks for anyone who doesn't know, and in this promo he says, at in your haste. For 10 years, me and my brother would reference that and joke about it. Like, it was like, remember that time Brett didn't say house? It's one of those things too, like, just as a bit of backstory. Uh, so, Jack, a couple of years ago, Simon and I were on a uh, WWF conference call, um, just a media call thing, and one of the foreign press pronounced Crown Jewel 
as Crown Yule. Um, so ever since then, we've often referred to that Saudi show as Crown Yule. It's just one of those things. It's just a Christmas. It's a Christmas pay-per-view, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Crown Yule. That's great. What a perfect mispronunciation of that. That's amazing. Yeah, so sorry, Brett. That's going to stick for a while to come, man. we ain't getting over that one. But um, well, what I thought was quite amusing was um, <laughs> JR, as Brett tries to join the commentary team, how indignant <laughs> JR is. But even the angry bits, come on, man. <laughs> he says, I'm trying to talk here. <laughs> really? The commentator, you're trying to talk? Okay. It's just so good. Angry JR is the best. <laughs> Just so indignant, like it's like, oh come on now, this is just too far. Hey, it's you like- get out of here! You don't touch me. <laughs> and uh, they go to the commentary um, desk, the Heart Foundation, and Pillman. This is a great Pillman moment. Just improv. He picks up a lamp and just starts doing prop comedy, and he's like, "The spotlight's on you now." <laughs> <laughs> Pillman, yeah, it was so good. We, we need to get you on for a WCW pay-per-view, uh, Jack, because the only way to like put this in an, in a similar context is when you watch mean Gene Oakland get indignant. <laughs> it's, it's, it's such a good era for that. Commentators go, get your hands off me, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, the, yeah, the indignance was amazing. Yeah, the shining of the light into people, lots of different people's faces. He was like <laughs> using it like a gun. That was amazing. It, it, this is where I think Pillman really started to like, uh, carve out a place in my heart in this moment. Um, him, him and uh, Bret Hart doing like the chicken wings <laughs> flapping motion. And that came up a few times in this pay-per-view of like, oh my God, the chicken motion, <laughs> the ultimate disrespect. It's so good. What about Bret's promo? Did we think that was good? I liked it because he was fancy, but not too fancy like Mick Foley. A couple mm. of lines here were really cool. When he said, I'll, you know, go into the mouth of hell with these men to fight the devil. I thought that was cool. And he also said, I'll let these men pump the blood in my heart or whatever. I thought Brett was like getting yeah. real poetic. I liked it. I thought that pump the heart through my blood or whatever he said was super confusing. I didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> Brett was definitely a man that you knew what he was thinking when he was in the ring because he's got the worst poker face in the world. It's just like you just looked at him and go, you're really not happy with where you are in life right now, are you, Brett? Which is a sad byproduct of... 1997 because he starts off 1997 on such a high in the Royal Rumble and 1997 is just the destruction of Bret Hart basically which is quite sad but we'll get into that a little bit later on um we'll get to the match because um Doc Hendricks is with Stone Cold Steve Austin now we've said this before and we'll say it again Steve Austin he's his final form here we have reached peak Austin don't you reckon Simon yeah, I love this promo. We've seen him do a few of these short ones with Doc Hendricks backstage. This was the most Austin of these promos. It was short, but it was Austin distilled into 30 seconds. It was mm. very cool. And Jack, you said you had some stuff about Austin. You wanted to say anything here? Oh, it's specifically, this was more about Michael Hayes in this moment. <laughs> okay. um, he asked the longest question that I have ever heard anyone ever ask. I actually wrote it down because okay. it, it, it struck me so much. He goes, Stone Cold, to state the obvious, <laughs> Bret Hart and the Hart Foundation are hoping that you and Shawn Michaels annihilate each other, take each other out, so to speak. Now, it's no secret that you and Shawn Michaels are not best friends. 
probably won't ever be best friends, but you are WWF Tag Team Champions. That is putting green in your jeans. <laughs> and I know you want to prove a personal point to each other, but where do you draw the line from proving a point or hurting each other and hurting your chances of staying WWF Tag Team Champions? Now, to give Stone Cold credit here, he drew all of those <laughs> insane threads together and he mentioned nearly everything that he 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 dropped in that, like, talk about a soliloquy right there. Yeah. That's a soliloquy. Um it was, yeah, amazing. I just couldn't believe how long he was speaking for. And then he, he backs it up and he does it with Shawn Michaels and he nearly says all the same stuff again. It's so like you, you just forget. And it's in, in fact, you probably would pick this up if you watch any Austin media interviews or any interviews that he does as an interviewer or when he's interviewed. He's a very switched on man. I've said this numerous times, like, the worst part about Stone Cold Steve Austin is he sounds like a dumb redneck because he could be explaining, you know, how Pythagoras' theorem works and he'd still sound like an idiot. <laughs> to us, we're not from Texas. <laughs> we <laughs> yeah, don't want to the great people of Texas. This is true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he sounds like a real idiot. But I think he's, really, he's well-spoken, though, and, you know, especially when he became a podcaster. It's very mm. funny. The excitement that you see out of Stone Cold nowadays when he's like popping up for a little media uh, appearance is, is mm. what always amazes me. Like there's a recent time where he was reviewing like famous athletes chugging beer and like he'd been sort of normal media training sort of up until that point of the interview. Then they're like, oh, we're going to look at some of these videos. Some of these famous athletes have been chugging beers publicly recently. You see him lean forward in his chair, get super excited, and he commentates the beer chugging as if it's a sport. And I remember at the end, the guy finishes the, the beer chug and Stone Cold goes, I like it. That boy's got a future. It's like, <laughs> what a funny line to say. Um, so, yeah, give him credit. Um, yeah, maybe not the, he's no, like, you know, uh, Hollywood scientist or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's, uh, he's, got, he's got personality, doesn't well, he? Okay, well, that's interesting, Jack, because you said you started watching in 2009. You've obviously seen a lot of Austin, like, segments and promos you know, he would do later in some of the classic ones. What about some people who try to be contrarian and be cool and they're like, yeah, you know what, Austin wasn't that good. For you, you didn't live through that era. Where do you rate him as a talker and a promo? Oh, he's uh, not a controversial opinion here. He's right at the very top. Like I think the the example just then of like, P.S. Hayes just like saying all of this nonsense and just like all these different details and then Stone Cold being able to like, I'm going to pick out all the key details of those things that you just said and reference them all and then tie them into a bow and then be super entertaining, but also build up the match, do all those little bits and pieces. It's it's really second to none in in, in what I've seen in wrestling. It's also, I mean, we're not even, you know, two hours removed from him creeping up on Brian Pillman like he was a Scooby-Doo villain and then putting his head in the toilet and looking like a badass doing it, not like, what is this? Like, it was actually, you're right, he, there is something about his presence that it was just, it was lightning in a bottle. It was just so good. But you've seen, being a fan in the, uh, the 2009s and the 2010s, the old let's go Cena, Cena sucks sort of um, chant. Shawn Michaels basically invented that. If you look at the crowd here, that same thing happens to him. Yeah, no, that's 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 a really good point. Um, I, do, I was struck by just how beautiful Shawn Michaels is, though, <laughs> watching watching this match, watching young Shawn Michaels here. That hair is just incredible. 
another thing too is like you know as i said the women are shrieking during his entrance mm. and there are a lot of children dressed up as sean michaels here i don't know if you guys picked up on that in the crowd like it just seemed like there must have been a big sale at the cosplay factory for kids sean michaels gear i don't know about kids dressing up like sean michaels i've always felt that's a bit weird <laughs> Yeah, that, that one's a little bit strange because essentially his his entire character is somewhat of a male gigolo, essentially. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, um, what did you? I guess you wouldn't have seen this, Jack. What about women giving Shawn Michaels flowers? That would happen at a lot of pay per views. He was oh. like, you know, Tom Jones type thing. Women would bring, you know, the the little bouquet and just give it to him. Okay, no, I didn't. I didn't notice that. I guess I was too distracted by the guy holding up his AOL email address <laughs> on a on a poster yeah. in the crowd. Oh, so good. What if that uh, that's still it's an active account? Probably. I thought about yeah. I thought about sending it an email. <laughs> I reckon that guy probably regrets it now. That in two thousand and twenty one, they're probably. Like, I'm just gonna like send them an email. Hey man, so you're, so you're King of the Ring, nineteen ninety seven. Still watch wrestling? <laughs> Were you a Brett or a Sean guy? <laughs> Hit me back. But um, this was um, this is a fairly unique match uh, because it's really got that big match feel. When Austin and HBK go face to face into the stare down, you can just see Vince at the comedy table go, "This has money." Kind of thing. But um, this is also. I reckon this is probably the last match where both guys are at their wrestling peaks because they would never. You look at their match at WrestleMania 14, it's much more of a brawl. This is actually a wrestling match, don't you reckon, Simon? Yeah, I, I love this match. I haven't seen it in years. I remember really liking it because it is weird. It's them at their physical peak. And this match is great. Like it felt like they, you know, both these guys, huge hugely influenced by Ric Flair. And it felt like they both said, let's go have an old school Ric Flair style match. And that's what this felt like. It's a shame they couldn't have this kind of match at WrestleMania 14 mm. because of both their injuries. If they did, I know that match is, you know, regarded as like a classic because it's the crowning of Boston. But if they had this match there, it would be considered one of the greatest WrestleMania matches ever, I think. It just was missing that sort of, you know, oh, it's a big, important match yeah. with a clean ending. It sort of just doesn't have an ending. I will say, though, one thing I never realized as a kid watching this, I never understood why they had a clean, straight-up technical wrestling match. It makes sense with their promos. They both said, I don't like the guy, but we're tag team champions. We don't want to hurt each other. Mm. I thought that was brilliant, too. Yeah, very, very smart stuff there. Um, what did you think of this match here, Jack? Did you think, like, oh, yeah, did it have a big match feel to you or did it just seem like, you know, it might as well have been the the main event to, you know, bragging rights 2012? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's right away, like, w watching this, it was, like, immediately of, like, oh, this is the best match right on the, on this card. You, you could just tell immediately as soon as they started wrestling the, the energy that they had um, and, yeah, I found this just a super fun match to watch. It was my most enjoyable time at the the reviewing this this pay per view. Um, and you mentioned Simon about it not really having an ending. I kind of loved the weird double DQ ending that, that happened at, at the end of this. Oh yeah, yeah, no, it's awesome. It's really exciting and it works. But I guess you know, like there's that weird thing with people where where it's like, oh, unless it had an ending with a one, two, three, or whatever, we don't count it as a good match. I feel mm. like this is forgotten in time because of the ending, even though as a story, again, it plays into the story. 
both these guys are so crazy and they hate each other. They're just going to beat up all the refs. It was pretty exciting. And Earl Hebner, like working like triple duty at this <laughs> pay-per-view, like he's in a suit at one point when, um, when the Hart Foundation try and try and get on commentary. No, no, that's his twin brother, Dave Hebner. Oh, okay. Of course. Yes. How is he in so many places at once? It's amazing. It's, it's, it's the Bella twins with less sex appeal, basically. <laughs> what Simon's trying to say. More, more like it. <laughs> it's twin magic. <laughs> Um, another cool thing is we need to remember too, Austin, even though he's incredibly popular here at the moment, is still a bad guy. Like this is still a heel versus face match because HBK is still a good guy, despite the fact that he's getting a couple of boos here and there. The cheers are mainly from women and children, whereas Austin is getting a lot of the reverse where like people... It's it's such an odd little match to watch when you think of it in a meta sort of a way like that. But um, look... The ending, as you mentioned, it's a bit of a schmoz, but it fits the storyline perfectly. And and Jack, I think you sort of hit the nail on the head there. Like it 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 was right for the story it was part of. Like it's not like it's a big blow off match. As part of the greater narrative of Austin and Michaels and the Hart Foundation and being tag team champions, like everything weaves in so well, doesn't it? Yeah, no. Um, the the thing that really jumped out to me about that ending was Jr. yelling out at the end, "Both men are losers." Um, <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was pretty amazing. Um, but no, yeah, it was. Uh, I found it really fun. I can't think of the, the last double DQ match I've seen. Like, I feel like that's something that you see a lot more in real sport than you do mm-hmm. in um, doing something like wrestling. And just like the 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 thing of like. Uh, Stone Cold gets annoyed and stunners the referee and then another referee comes in and doesn't count, tries to wake up the other guy. So if Shawn Michaels gets annoyed and super kicks the other referee, it's just like, look, this is wrestling right here. This is why I watch wrestling for this stupidity. The best part about the other ref coming in to wake up the first ref, Tim White, I believe is the first, is the ref that's uh, on the ground. The crowd, when he goes to check on the other one, they're all like, what? What are you doing? The crowd (laughs) actually acknowledges like, what is this man up to? But yeah, it's very, very cool and a very nice little match. This is a feud that will continue on. And there's so many different layers with between the Hart Foundation and um, between the Hart Foundation, Stone Cold Steve Austin, um, HBK. You then factor in Triple H later on with and China forming DX. Like there's just so many layers in the WWF are really, really sort of putting together I was about the best way I could describe it is they're making a cool little lasagna of storyline here, <laughs> just putting each layer in, and the finished product is going to be fantastic when we get to it. But um, can, sorry, is- can we, Nims, can we please? There's one, uh, one <laughs> oh, yeah, final thing I need to touch on in here. So, go we've spoken like. a lot about JR uh, with his historical commentary and his Wikipedia referencing. Um, there's a bit in this match where he draws the longest bow of any bow that he draws in this whole pay per view. He starts out by saying, Great weekend for horse racing. <laughs> And then he starts making these comparisons that like Stone Cold and Shawn Michaels are both horses and they're both racing in the same different events. And he's calling them thoroughbreds. And like, I feel like if there was any one time where it was okay for Vince to shiv JR, it was that <laughs> that time because it was just nonsense. I've got a note on that too. I'm glad you brought it up because when he said big weekend of horse racing, <laughs> he goes, we got two great horses here. Most- <laughs> Just tenuous link ever. And then he yeah, went on to say, 
Shawn Michaels, he's won a lot of races, but Austin, <laughs> he just won his first, and he's going to win a lot more later. And Vince is like, oh, just, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no idea. Vince is very much like, move on, old man. Oh, no, we're still going back here. Oh, come on. <laughs> and also, just one more thing. This match had so many, like, great moments. At one point, Shawn Michaels gets mooned, which was like a classic Shawn Michaels spot. The crowd pops huge, like one of the biggest pops of the night. But then the audio of the commentary cuts out for about 20 seconds. What on earth did JR say when that <laughs> happened is what I want to know. The crowd does lose it at that moment. And he's not like, there's not that much cheek that comes out either. <laughs> like it's uh, Michael's is kind of like dummy thick at this point in terms of, in terms <laughs> of booty. Um, but like, yeah, he doesn't show that much, but the crowd is like acting like they just got a full peep show. Yeah. <laughs> and as Simon mentioned, Sean Michael's ass makes, surprisingly more appearances during the new generation era than you'd think would happen but um we'll get to it we'll get to our um our main event here which is Farouk versus the Undertaker I want to quickly touch on Todd Pettingill chatting to Farouk in the Nation of Domination beforehand now Paul Bearer has recently like he so for, as a bit of backstory here Jack he betrayed the Undertaker Started with mankind. Now he's back with the Undertaker. And Simon, correct me if I'm wrong. He's got some blackmail. Uh, he's holding a big dark secret that Undertaker doesn't want revealed. That's that's right, isn't it? Which- yeah. So Undertaker has burnt Paul Bearer. Paul Bearer said, "I'm going to reveal your secret if you don't work for me." Paul Bearer. We're seeing him with red hair now and no makeup because the burnt face changed his hair color in kayfabe, which is hilarious. Mm, mm. So this also leads to one of the most questionable and one of those lines where I had to sit up and be like, did he actually say that? So Farouk is talking about The Undertaker and he just sort of says, da-da-da-da-da-da. He's really selling the match. It's actually a really, really cool line, but it also makes you go, ooh. And I'm pretty sure you guys know what I'm going to say here. Whereas um, Farouk says to Todd Pennegill, don't you worry about Paul Bearer and his blackmail. You worry about this blackmail. And he points to himself. And it's just like, Whoa. <laughs> <Dude>. <laughs> it's kind of awesome, though. It is. You forget cool. like how much of a badass Farouk as leader of the Nation of Domination was back in the day. And Jack, when you were when you were watching that promo, because I'm sure you remember Ron Simmons as the damn guy. Mm. Have you seen him this intense? Uh, no, and uh, I don't know if I've seen him looked more ashamed after he said that black <laughs> blackmail line. Like there, there a bit he he speaks, and then you see his face just be like, "Yeah, that one got away from me." Um, <laughs> it, it looks like he's not happy to be saying that. Um, Inter- interesting though that like you know because he actually was the first ever um, African American champion. In uh, pro in American pro wrestling, winning the WCW title of Vader in was it ninety three, Simon? Yeah, early nineties. But yeah, he already was the first black champion. <laughs> they mm. just didn't count it here in WWE. <laughs> and they used like I love that. Like they go into so many layers of like you know mentioning you know you might remember Mick Foley as Cactus Jack. You might remember um, you know Dustin Rhodes. He's the son of a he's the son of the American Dream, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But in the match where you can actually have the first ever black WWF champion, that's got the man that was the first ever black wrestling champion, and you've mentioned it zero times. A little bit strange. <laughs> mm. And could you imagine 
promoting something like that now to be like the first ever black champion and then not delivering on it. (laughs) Yeah, that's true, actually. People would riot. Oh my god! Yeah, I never thought. Because everyone would think, "Oh, cool, we're historic." They can't say it and not do it. But they're like, "Now we're not doing that." And and Vince goes on to say, as the match is starting, you're talking about Farouk. He says he certainly has played the race card. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. no, no, that was a big part of this feud. I watched these Raws years ago. It's really weird because even the Undertaker is like, "Uh, you, you know." You haven't been held down because you're black. You're being held down because you're not good. Like, it's really, really weird where you're like, should he be the good guy in this story? Mm, you know? Yeah, no, if, if uh, yeah, it's like it shows how far we've come as a society mm. um, that he was made into the bad guy pretty much just for being black. Well, a year later, DX would infamously don blackface and make fun of the nation. So Mm. it shows you where they still were as a company. Timely. Yeah, it's 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 so uh, like in the when you go back and think, you know, 1997, you don't think just like, wow, we were that's uh, that's that's almost cracking two sticks together and lighting a fire kind of stuff there but no that's that existed but um what did you think of this match because i don't know it just seemed very 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 underwhelming to me after especially after the high i mean jack you've just seen you have just seen hbk versus austin first time you're watching king of the ring 1997 hey you know what they've got to go over the bang when you see farouk versus the undertaker for the wwf world heavyweight championship is this what you're expecting (laughs) Well, you know, when when Farouk like hits the ring and they, the Undertaker is there and they're standing next to each other and it's sort of roughly the same size, you're like, oh, this is going to be one of those Undertaker matches, isn't it? <laughs> and right away, it is one of those Undertaker matches, just super slow paced, just, just didn't move the needle for me at all. I was counting down the moments until it was over, basically. Mm. I'm going to be honest, when I was a kid, because if you look at the artwork that they use on the WWE Network for this pay-per-view, it's Sean and Austin on the cover, and that was the video packet, like back at Video Easy. I swear the video version had Sean and Austin at the end. I was convinced of it. When I saw this and they went to the HBK Austin video package, I thought, what? Are they just playing the package early for some reason? I'm convinced that was the main event when I watched this in 97. Or I just never watched this match in my life. Look, you're not really missing, uh, missing much there. And I, to be honest, I couldn't remember this happened. I remember that Farouk did get a shot at the WWF uh, title. I just assumed it was on a like a throwaway Raw because this match does seem like a throwaway Raw. I mean, if anything, the only offense that Farouk gets is when the nation steps in on his part or when Paul Bearer decides to dish out some stuff there. But it's such a such a plodding match. There's a bit of back and forth of infighting amongst the nation of domination. But Undertaker does that thing too where he just single-handedly takes out the nation of domination. I don't know where to, where to sort of start and where to – because this match is all over the place and – it's not one that I would hunt down, and it's such a such a poor dessert to the main course of um, Austin versus HBK. I will say one great spot though when Taker went for old school, or oh, in I this case, current school. <laughs> current when he when he just went to school. I don't know if he got pushed or jumped, but 
he just did like a trust fall or like mm. a, a stage dive onto the nation to the outside. That was kind of cool. Yeah, when JR called it a, a crossbody, but he just sort of fell. <laughs> he fell backwards. Was it a crossbody? I don't know if it was this match, but JR at one point um, said, it's a different story horizontal. I don't know the context, but I just kept thinking it sounds like a pickup line JR would lose, <laughs> would use. And I just kept thinking about it like a girl just saying, you're not my type. And he's like, it's a different story horizontal. And, we're all the same with the lats off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just, now, this is just such a poor, poor match here. Um, a tombstone t- and take a sa- uh, single-handedly takes out the Nation of Domination. Um, I don't think anyone went in there thinking that Farouk was going to walk out WWF champion. But post-match, Paul Bearer is ordering Taker to chokeslam Farouk, which I didn't quite understand. Like... There was no real issue between the nation. It's not like this is a blood feud. I mean, Simon, could you shed any context that I might be missing here? I didn't understand it. I think it was just Paul Bearer, you know, controlling the Undertaker and wanted wanted him to do heelish things and do his bidding. But the crowd was never going to boo that because they don't like Farouk. We've Mm -hmm. been told, don't cheer Farouk. So it was just weird. And then, of course, Ahmed Johnson comes out. He's been feuding with Farouk for a whole year and he comes out and mumbles a bunch of garbage. I didn't catch 90% of what Ahmed said. The only bit I caught was when he said, he's a human being. And that was it because now all of a sudden Ahmed was... um, Humanitarian. (laughs) Humanitarian standing up for Farouk. Yeah, it was just odd. The crowd didn't know how to take it. Although one guy in the crowd would have loved it. Did you guys see the sign that just said, kill Farouk? Like that guy was me. That dude was just that dude. I I have a feeling that like I wouldn't want to see the bumper stickers on that dude's car (laughs) on the way home. I'll put it that way. Um, But uh, what did you think of this uh, this one as as a whole? We take into account the post match too with Farouk. There, your takeaways from that, Jack, because this is this is one of the first, if not the first, nineteen ninety seven baby you've seen from the much hyped Attitude Era, etc., etc. With all the pomp and circumstance and the uh, and the the hype behind it, did that leave you satisfied? Or if, as Simon said, and you walked away after um, Austin and HBK, did that change um, you know your thoughts of how this paper you wrapped up? Yeah, definitely. If if that was the main event, I'd definitely have a stronger impression um, of this this whole show. That's for sure. I think yeah, coming away from this, I'm I'm sort of like I wonder what WCW is up to around this time <laughs> because uh, yeah, if, if we're I liked that we had something at the end of that match to make it feel like a main event, like mm. just to have some big stupid wrestling nonsense at the end and take a choke slamming everyone was you know that's always fun. Mm. The weird Ahmed Johnson of like him coming out and being like, what are you doing, man? Yeah. Just saying a bunch of, yeah, like you're saying, mumbling. Gibberish, yeah. Yeah, that was like, okay, yeah, wrestling, I guess. I guess some other thing is going to happen here. Um, but yeah, the, the, I, I heard JR also say Ahmed Johnson and Farouk have had some great matches in, in the lead up to this. That so like, is a downright lie. Okay. <laughs> They've had a great number of matches. Yeah, maybe, exactly. that's, maybe yeah, that, that's the word I'm omitting. Um, so, the, but just from the context of like, they've had these this feud, like why is he now coming out to protect uh, Farouk, as you, as you said earlier? So, yeah, 
it was, I was glad something happened at the end of this match because the match itself was extremely forgettable. We, we got you on the show, Jack. I don't know the analogy, but like we got you the calm before the storm or whatever, but I've been trying to think when WWE just hits a, its stride in 1997, it's literally the next show. From the next show <laughs> onwards, it's the best run the WWF ever has, and it starts next month. Canadian Stampede, SummerSlam 97, Ground Zero, Hell in a Cell, Survivor Series 97, PX Pay-Per-View. It's it literally the Attitude Era starts properly next month. So yeah. we got you on the final hump. Cool. Good to know. I can sort of get you get you guys through this bad part and then you go, oh, the wrestling's great now. <laughs> we'll get you on uh, one of those pay-per-views to check back in. I think Just wait until it's going to have like a dip in the quality of pay-per-views <laughs> yeah. and then bring me back in there. We'll get you back in like, yeah, 2004 or something. <laughs> yeah, when we watch Judgment Day 2000 or something, you're like, actually, no, that's a good one because Undertaker returns. Anyway, we'll... we'll, we'll <laughs> We'll push on, but um, yeah, look, Simon, your final thoughts? I'm so glad I got to see HBK in Austin because I remember loving that match and it was still great. One of the most underrated matches of the Attitude Era, like everyone should go and watch it. The whole show wasn't great, but it was kind of fun to see Triple H become a bigger deal as well. But yeah, to, to end on this match, it is a bit of a shame because, you know, a great main event can save a bad show. This mm. did the opposite. Yeah, very much so. And if you are going to go back and watch this, leave after Austin versus HBK. That's just, that's the best sort of um, that's the best sort of uh, advice I can give. Uh, before we wrap up, Jack, I'll get your final thoughts on the entire presentation as a whole. Um, I think you can see those bits and pieces of like the modern wrestling products starting to emerge here, which is it's interesting to watch the evolution. But I think the metaphor for how I felt of like the whole. Um, presentation was sort of demonstrated when Vince like did his master of ceremonies thing at the start where it's like, I'm here, I'm Vince McMahon. I own the company. I'm just going to kind of do whatever I want. And mm. it's, it's not going to have this kind of polish. And it, it almost felt like this pay-per-view, there was moments in it where you could see Vince just falling out of love with JR's commentary <laughs> style in, in, in this pay-per-view. Like there was a time where, um, Jay, I was like describing, it's like, oh, they're not in this place. And he described sort of like a really desolate place. And Vince responded by, by going, no, they're here at the King of the Ring. It's a giant event. And it was like, felt like this, this moment of push and pull between their two perceptions of wrestling where Vince yeah. is like, no, this is legit. This is huge. And this is professional. And you saying all this folksy bullshit is <laughs> taking away from the professionalism that I want this thing to have. Mm. So it felt like there's almost these two diverging point of views. Obviously, JR stayed with the company for a lot longer. And it's not like he left after this promo, this, this pay-per-view or anything like that. No, but you're right. It was a very rocky road for JR there. Like, yes. we often look back as like, you know, as you sort of mentioned, like, People fondly look back at, oh, Jay, was, and he's one of the best in the business, but like he didn't exactly have the smoothest of runs in the WWF. No, and you can see, like, obviously, like this, it's been said numerous times that Vince doesn't like the Southern accents mm. and things like that. And you could see, in this this time, I don't agree with him. Obviously, I love Jr's commentary. It's mm. it's it's fun for for someone to add that level of realness to to this unrealistic product. But you could just see it's just not Vince's vision for what yeah. he wants his wrestling to be. I think that's probably the best way to sort of sum it up. Like, 
it's like I got you in here to do my bidding and you're not doing my bidding. You're not doing what I want you to do here. My toys aren't doing the the aren't playing the game that I want them to play. <laughs> Which is a great metaphor for how Vince does run his product. But um, Simon, all in all, what do you think of the the full the full kit and caboodle here? It was a one match show, but what a match it was. So I guess you know, in that sense, at least there was a big positive to to take from it. It was like peak Shawn Michaels and peak Steve Austin. If we're going to pick an MVP for this show, which I guess we haven't done for a few months, but for this show, it's got to be Austin. That segment with Pillman, the promo and the match he had, it's Austin. Yeah, definitely. I I don't think you can fault that one. Um, As I sort of mentioned during uh, the pod, this is, it's really highlighted just how much Bret Hart is getting out of the sun here. We saw all of 1996 Um, that he was kind of being phased out because 96 was the Shawn Michaels show. Michaels was definitely the best best wrestler going around every single main event. He was carrying it. He was putting the company on his back, basically. I mean, I don't think there's a single main event that Shawn Michaels had in 1996, Simon, from all the pay-per-views that we watched that we didn't go, that was the best match on the card. Yeah, easily. Shawn Michaels in 96. I think he was the MVP on every single WWE show we did. Um, Things are changing here, though. Sean and Brett would be, you know, kind of done mm. by the end of the year and Austin takes their spot. So, yeah, we're definitely at a turning point. It's an interesting time. Yeah, it certainly is. And um, one quick little epilogue here before you wrap up. We started off doing this um, this podcast series with King of the Ring 1996. Do you remember any of the, the players in 96 and where they are in 1997, Simon? In terms of the wrestlers? No, in terms of the people that were on the card in nineteen ninety in King of the Ring nineteen ninety six, because we've still got some crossover. Austin yeah. obviously is still there. Um, we've still got um, Jerry the King Lawler of all people <laughs> is still a survivor from ninety six. Two of the biggest guys pushed on that show were Mark Merrow and Jake the Snake Roberts. Mm-hmm. They're long gone, but long they're- gone, and another big glaring omission nineteen ninety six King of the Ring Ultimate Warrior. Got the biggest pop of the night on that show, and he's gone. Nowhere to be seen now. So a lot can happen in a year, and uh, it's been fun recapping all these. There's plenty more to get through. The next paper that we'll, we'll be doing is the WCW Great American Bash. I want to take a quick moment, though, to thank you, Jack, for joining us. Uh, apologies that we got you on on the literally <laughs> last paper before it all becomes really, really good, and the WWF really hits his stride. But uh, we always love getting fresh eyes and a, a wrestling fan to – just delve back and relive, or in this case, experience it for the first time. And uh, man, thanks so much for joining us. No, thank you very much for having me. For me, wrestling is a lot like pizza. Even when it's bad, it's good. (laughs) And man, if anyone wants to follow what you're doing on the socials or any of your work, where can we check you out? Oh, geez, good question. (laughs) (laughs) I have a Twitter uh, and uh, it's uh, at Jack G Trainer. And, you know, I, I post there, you know, once every six months, just to, just to see what everyone's up to. But it's the best damn six months you will ever experience. So, uh, but man, you got it. We will definitely get you on, especially we'd love to get you on for a WCW pay for you because I reckon, Simon, that are you, for a bloke that got into wrestling in 09, having another him, world having doesn't him, even make sense, not even the same. <laughs> yeah, having him watch, like, I don't know, Fall Brawl 99 <laughs> would be fantastic. But uh, hey, look. 
It's been a hell of a lot of fun. Remember, if you do want to check the archives of uh, any episodes of Reliving the War, head to greywolfentertainment.net. Uh, you can follow all, what's coming up on um, the podcast by checking out Grey Wolf ENT on the socials, uh, or you can just go to um, Grey Wolf ENT on Instagram and Twitter. While I'm talking Grey Wolf Entertainment, though, they've got a brand new podcast series called We're Old Now, where Ned and Fitz relive basically uh it's it's something for nostalgia and geeks and geeks like us that sort of miss the good old days and their first edition is up now you can check that out live at we're old now podcast on facebook where they chat to bill mosley very very cool chat so i strongly recommend you check it out but uh yeah simon jack it's been a lot of fun for reliving the war we'll catch you next time for wcw great american bash This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.